0: Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. As Dan said, we are working through the toolkit. Good morning. My name is Daniel Sidler. My wife and I, Heather and I, we uh, lead the family ministry here at Cornerstone. That's so—I am not Doug. I'm sorry. You can all go. Aw. Thanks. Um, So we are working through the toolkit, as Dan said. So I want to begin this morning by reading the fundamental thought from the toolkit. So if you have that, pull that out. Uh, we are on page 151, um, and if you don't have it, you can turn to Deuteronomy 6, because that's where we're going to be reading from God's Word today. So it says, the family is a primary part of God's redemptive plan. From the beginning, he has made the biblical family the method and means to evangelize the world. The family structure is a flock, and the father is the shepherd of his flock. The primary responsib- responsibility for the spiritual Emotional and physical health of the household lies not with the church or youth pastor or school or world system, but with the parents. The title of today's message is Do You Know God's Story? The reason for that is because I think if you know God's story, if you know His redemptive plan, your role as a family we'll become a lot more clear. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at family. I pray that as we look at your story, that you would show us how we as families play a primary part in your redemptive plan. Um, Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for all these beautiful families that are in the room. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, move mountains and break down walls and just make yourself abundantly clear this morning through your word. Amen. So, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I am going to read the whole chapter. So hang on, here we go. I promise we'll get through it. So Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book in the Bible. Chapter six says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and, you walk, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full and take uh, care you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people uh, who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the, la- of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord had promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh, and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord, our God, as He has commanded us." There's a lot of commands in there, isn't there? At a first glance, this chapter can seem like a checklist of do's and do nots. But I think a checklist that, that's a do and a do not, if you boil that down, it can be just a way that you get to control the Lord. This list, this this list of commands of do's and do's not, and do nots, is much greater than just a list. And I think with a little bit more context about this, you're going to see why. So it's a lot more than that. It's It's a serious command from a loving God to the heart of a wayward nation that he desperately wants to keep in step. With what he is doing his story his plan so let's take a look at that let's start with before we break down some of the scripture some of the context here i want to talk to you about what moses knows deuteronomy was written by by moses moses was god's man that he he raised up and he used him uh, to deliver his people out from slavery and then lead them into the the promised land promise well, the problem was when they got to the promised land they were unfaithful They sent 12 spies in the land. Only two of them came back faithful, so they were a bunch of sissy spies. They came back. They didn't get the job done, and God said, all right, you're going into the wilderness. So then they spent 40 years out there learning who God was. He was their faithful provider. He gave them manna. He literally walked with them every step of the way, and they continued over and over and over again to be unfaithful, and Moses was their leader. Moses was, their, was God's mouthpiece to the, to the people. And the whole way, he, 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 would, he would continue to go to the people and say, and, and plead to God, don't wipe them off the face of the earth for their unfaithfulness. And then he would help them and teach them and lead them. So Moses is, is God's friend. Moses meets with God. And um, in Deuteronomy, um, right before they were about to go into the land— uh, they're now back to this. So they've been, they've been wandering the desert. They've been teaching, or God's been teaching them, I am faithful. And then now they've been brought back after the 40 years. That evil generation has died off. That was the punishment. All the people that didn't want to go into the land, they're not going into the land, okay? So when Moses brings them back to the land, now they're, they're about to cross the Jordan. Moses is writing them Deuteronomy, all these commands, okay? Problem is, Moses isn't getting, He doesn't get to go into the promised land with them. And that's what I want to look at right now. If you don't know the story, um, we looked at it um, in verse 16, I believe, but it's uh, Massah. The people are, again, grumbling against God because they're thirsty. God is using that to test their hearts, to teach the people that they don't live on, on bread and water alone, but they, word, they live on the very word of God. So in the middle of that, Moses is again frustrated. He's again having to go to God and saying, man, these guys, they're going to stone me. Okay? They're out here. We're starving. We're thirsty. It's not fun. They would rather go back into slavery because they are unfaithful people. They don't love you. You know what? This is ridiculous. And God goes, okay, so go back, and I want you to speak to this rock, and I'm going to give the people water to drink. And Moses is really frustrated, and I think he's really frustrated at God, too, because I think... As he's leading this ungrateful people, that gets tiresome. So he goes out there, and instead of doing what God asked him to do, which is just speak to the rock and let the water flow for the people, he smashes the rock with the staff that God's given him twice. He does it twice. Water pours out, and then God goes, Oh, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to speak to the rock, not hit the rock. That's a problem for me, because my word is supposed to be holy for you. And you did not display that to, the, to, to my people. You as the leader, you made a big no-no. You took my word and you did what you wanted with it. You didn't treat it as holy. That's a big problem. it's for that, when we all go into the, when, when I lead the people into the, the promised land, you don't get to go. For Moses, who had Beg God not to kill this people over and over again. Moses is this faithful character. That's kind of a big deal. It seems a little unfair, doesn't it? I thought so. But Moses knew who God was, okay? I want to show you—Moses was a friend of God. I want to show you this one piece in, in Exodus 34, when, when Moses is, is getting the law from God. He's, um, he, he, he goes, God, if I found favor with you, can you show me your glory? And God goes, I, you have found favor with me, and I am going to show you my glory, but it would completely decimate you. So here's what I'll do. I'll put you—I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to pass by, and as I go, you can look at my back because I, I don't want you to die. But you have found favor with me, and I'm going to show you that. And so the Lord comes down, and he stands with him, and this is the Lord's testimony. This is the Lord proclaiming himself to mankind. And I, so to get a good picture of God, we might, might as well look at what he says of himself, right? So Exodus 34, verses 4 through 8 says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone, like the first, because he had smashed it because the people were unfaithful, and blah, blah, blah. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious— slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands or to thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the uh, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head, toward the earth, and he worshipped. Moses knows that God is a good, loving, gracious, merciful God, but he is overwhelmingly faithful. He is overwhelmingly faithful in loving, but he is overwhelmingly faithful in punishing sin. Moses knows that sting all too well here. So when he's writing Deuteronomy to the people that he no longer gets to go and lead. These commands are, are, are extremely heartfelt commands, okay? So let's read it again, six, uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's saying, don't forget. Don't forget, even for a moment, who God is. This brings me to my first point, which is God's story is a privilege to tell. The nation of Israel had a phenomenal privilege, okay? Where the rest of the world would have looked at this ragtag group of misfit, homeless slaves and thought them the lowest of people. They weren't the kings, they weren't the important, the many people, they were the small. They didn't even have a a land. They've been walking around in the desert. You want to talk about homeless? They were homely. Okay? And God says, you, you were made in my image. You are my chosen people. I'm going to make you a light to the rest of the world. Because when they look at you, they're going to see what it's like to walk with the living God. What's more, is the Savior of the world. My promised Messiah is going to come from you. And for that, you will be holy. You will be holy. It's my command. You will be holy as I am holy. Where the rest of the world is dark and selfish, you're going to be different. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And for that, you're going to be crazy blessed. It was vital that they remember their identity. It wasn't because of who they were. It wasn't when the rest of the world would look at Israel and go, man, look at that people. God's intention was that when people looked at that, when the rest of the world looked at that people, they went, look at their God. God. I think it's cool that the privilege of passing on this information wasn't directed to Moses. This information passed from generation to generation was given to the parents. And I believe that that's, this privilege given to you as parents also translates, but I think that this privilege was bestowed on parents for many, many reasons. But these two are the ones that I want you to listen to. Your children are a God-given responsibility, a God-given blessing. The primary responsibility for the spiritual health of a household lies not with the church or youth pastor or school or world system, but with the parents. Nobody has more opportunity and position to steer a child's heart towards Jesus than you. Also, in Christ, we are all brothers and sisters adopted into God's family. Our role as a parent, and listen to this, our, our role as parents is to model what our children can expect from their relationship with the Savior. Okay? How you shepherd them can hinder them, can promote them, and can shape their expectations of God. We'll get back to that in a minute, but I want to keep moving. So point number two is leave some space in your notes, because I know you're all diligently taking notes right now. Leave some space in your notes, because I'm going to come back to that, and you'll see why in a minute, or at the end here. But my second point is God's story is not yours to write. Okay, so let's keep reading. Uh, verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and you, when you eat and are full, uh, and then take care, lest you forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Um, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to give you to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord had promised. See how Moses kind of stabs them in verse 16? you see that, (laughs) Massah? He's talking about, I just think that's funny that he's, He's not allowed to go into the land, and he uses this opportunity when he's like, hey, remember, remember, remember. Like back in the day at Masah, where, which the name of that means uh, struggle, uh, he's like, Do you, don't you remember that time that I beat the rock instead of speaking to it, and I got punished on your behalf? <laughs> like, don't forget that. As you go and you read this in the promised land, and I'm not there, it's because Massah. Thank you very much. I think that's funny. I also think it's funny that I read this as I'm, as I'm going through this. I'm like, oh, yeah, you idiots. Like, you got it made, man. Just follow God. Do what he says. Get to do awesome stuff, morons. <laughs> and then as I'm reading that, God's like, hey, um, what makes your heart any different than theirs? I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Because I think all of us are guilty of this. Not think. I know. I know all of us are guilty of this. And so that shows me three things about our heart. Or not three things, it shows me a couple things about the condition of the human heart. Verse 11 is take care lest you forget. The heart of man is just prone to walk away from our Creator. And 100% of the time, it's our own fault. It's not Satan's fault. He would love for you to do that, and he will provide as many opportunities as he can to get you to do that, but it's your fault. There's times that we'd like to blame Satan. He's not even around. It's in here. It's our heart that we're just prone to walk away because we don't want a king. It's just the way it is. We do it just about every day. And our kids will, your kids will too. <gasps> yep. Not my children. Yeah, your children. So own up for your mistake. Own up for it in front of them. Live with transparency in front of your kids. Because when they see you repent, and when they see that you don't have all the answers, and when they see that you are relying on Jesus, so will they. Faith is caught way more readily and way more often than it is taught. And then in verse 13, it says, uh, It's the Lord you shall fear, him you shall serve. We need a mission. Our heart needs a mission. If you are serving God, you can't go after other gods. And if you're serving other gods, you can't, you can't serve God. It's like, I can't turn left and right at the same time. It just doesn't work. Okay, You can be distracted. While you're serving God, you can be distracted by other gods, But as soon as you turn to serve another God, you can't serve God. Okay? So when you are living on mission, you can't be distracted. Okay? When the people were on mission and clearing out the land, lots of awesome things were happening. But it was when they were kings in the land and comfortable that all of the problems were everywhere with God's people. And then finally, Massah, and I kind of already talked about that, that um, uh, Moses got to use that opportunity to say, remember this. But I also think there's a bigger piece in that too where our hearts, like I, I kind of mentioned, we, our hearts don't want to have a, a, a Lord. But I want you to hear this, that God doesn't have to wait for you to crown him to become king. Like, you're, he doesn't have to wait for your heart's permission to be lord of your life. Like, we rail against bending the knee because we don't want a lord. It doesn't matter. He is God. He is, always was, always will be. Whether or not your knee bends is, determines whether you're going to be on mission with him or you're going to stand against him. And lastly, you've got a rule of your heart. Being on mission, you get to see amazing things. At the end, uh, in verse 19, it's like, look, God's promised you all these things. If you're on mission with him, if you keep in step with him, all these things are going to happen. You're going to see amazing things. Not just the rest of the world is going to see God live with you. You're going to see God live with you! And at Massah... Even when you're on mission, you can fight with God. You can rail against God. You can fight him for the throne. At Massah, they're being led through the desert. He's giving them food every day, water every day, right? And then—and they, they think they know better than God. It would have been better, so leave me in slavery, because then I wouldn't have to be thirsty right now. And God's like, I'm teaching you something, but okay. We rail against God. Our heart will tell God, I know better than you as we are along the way. If you trust God, if you respect him, if you trust him, if you love him, you'll follow his commands and do what he says. Along the way, be taught and see his purpose in the things that you don't understand. Remember your, your identity. You were created in his image. Reflect him. Reflect holiness and watch God's beautiful story for you unfold before your eyes. Break down walls. Part seas. Part... Cross the You will see those things if you follow God. All of those things come with fear. Because you overcome fear with faith. Can't have faith without fear. Different lesson, different time. So let's keep moving. Point number three. Your story is a part of God's grand story. Let's pick it up in verse 20. It says, When, you, when your sons ask you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we are Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there, that he he might bring us in." and gave us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded. God's story has always been about saving mankind at the cost of himself for his good pleasure, for his glory. The Israelites, their part was to foreshadow God's Savior, God's picture of how Christ would set us free from sin. Your testimony is one of your greatest weapons it's one of your greatest weapons that, to lead other people out of slavery specifically your children <clears throat> i i laugh sometimes when people are like man i don't have a i don't have a cool testimony <laughs> because i grew up in a christian household i never i never like become a heroin addict and, and then god delivered me from that and i'm like what like you want the heroin experience I, who wants to get kicked in the teeth and be like, "Yeah, that hurts." You shouldn't want that. If you grew up in a Christian household and you never fell away into the world, I, you still have a, I mean, if you were re- repented before anything really awful happened in your life, praise Jesus. That's the testimony that we all should have. That's the best testimony. My parents raised me in a way that I didn't have to almost die, right? If you know Jesus, you can introduce your children to him. If your family knows Jesus, you can introduce your neighbor to him. If your neighborhood knows Jesus, you can impact a nation. So if you haven't, put your faith in Jesus. You're still in Egypt. Any way you want to cut it, and for whatever reason you have, fear, pain, anger, pride, you are a slave. And the enemy is, is fantastic at convincing you that it's better there than walking on the, on the, on the road with God. God. And true, I can't promise you a land of milk and honey if you, if you give your life to the Lord. I can't. But I can promise you the storm. And that you have a Savior and a Father and a Shepherd that walks with you through it. And in that, your faith will be tested. But the testing of your faith produces endurance. Your trust in your mighty heavenly father will grow when he continues to prove himself faithful over and over again. If you've never made that choice, do it today. You're here on purpose. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is believe. So to that end, Lord, I'm going to pray really quick. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit would break down walls, Lord, that you would move mountains, that you would move on the hearts in this room, that you are calling out of slavery and into life. Call them by name right now. Whisper their name in their ear and say, You are mine. Give them the courage to approach one of the people serving communion after service. And say, tell me more about this life with, with the Lord. Tell me more about this Jesus. Break chains, Lord, and do it today. In your mighty name, Jesus, set somebody free. Amen. Amen. So here's the application for all those spaces you left in the notes that I asked for. <laughs> and I'm working backwards on purpose. So your story it's a part of God's grand story. Don't hide your testimony from your kids. Parents, don't hide your testimony from your kids. As a parent, the temptation is to want to appear as though we have all the answers. And the anyone will tell you, you're not supposed to be you should have the answer for that. If you were a good Christian, you would know what the, you would be a better example. That's very thin ice. You want your kids to know that you don't have all the answers but you are intimately involved and know the one that does, okay? Your testimony will teach your kids how awful Egypt is. Hopefully, they never have to fully taste that. But if they do, remember that it's God's goodness that will call men to repentance, okay? Every chance you get, if you have a wayward child, point them to Jesus— Kids, if you can write, I want you to write this down on your, I think I, this right here, this treasure map. Don't turn this in today. I want you to hold on to this for this week, okay? So I want you to write this question down. Hey, Mom, or hey, Dad, what's your testimony? Sometime this week, you can even do it on your drive home from from church today, I want you to ask your parents, what's your testimony? And then point number two God's story is not yours to write. Salvation is just the beginning. Okay, If the enemy can keep you trapped in your sin, focused on your own walk, tempting you with all the other idols, gods that surround you, it's going to lead you to a selfish walk with the Lord. Get on mission. Ask God. Remember your identity. And get on mission. Because when you're running towards a finish line, you don't have time to stop and smell daisies. Okay? Get in your Bible every day. Model that for your children. But more importantly, model that for you. If you were in the Word every day, God will tell you, turn left and you will turn left. And he'll say, turn right and you will turn right. But you can't do that if you're not meeting with him every day. Okay? Okay? You cannot be on mission and not be talking to your captain. You can't do it. So don't expect to. So kids, write this down for your second point. Here's the second question I want you to ask your parents this week. How is our family on mission for God? Okay? And it'll be up here so you can write that down. And then point number one, God's story is a privilege to tell. And don't ever forget that. In Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is quarreling with, some sad, with the Sadducees, a scribe comes up and asks God, or asks Jesus, what the greatest commandment in the law is. And Jesus wisely quotes this section of Scripture. And this blew my mind, which is why I wanted this one to be the last point for you guys. So listen, if you haven't listened to anything, listen to this. Uh, Verses 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Two reasons this blows my mind. One, Jesus is literally pointing to himself in the Old Testament. He's literally, the guy goes, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus goes, I have just the verse for you. Look at, uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The way that breaks down in Hebrew is uh, Yehovah Elohim Echad Yehovah. And I know you all know what that means, right? No? Okay. So Yehovah is singular. It's a name for God that's the forever God. One. Then it says Elohim, which is plural. So it's more than one, but still one. Like a bunch of grapes. Okay. So what he's saying is, the forever God, let's see, the Lord, the forever God, the God, the God, the group of God, the Lord is one. That word, Echad, actually means number one. So he's saying, he's pointing to himself as being part of God. And then he follows it up with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's saying, fall in love with me. I'm going to say that again, man. He's saying, fall in love with me. That's the greatest command. Fall in love with me, because I love you. Okay? So all you got to do is fall in love with me, because that changes this entire list of have-tos to get-tos. If you love Jesus, you're going to talk about him uh, while you're on the way. Okay? Like, you just do. Like, I talk about my wife all the time, because I'm crazy in love with her. I talk about her all the time. It's not, it's not, it's not like you twist my arm and talk about her. I love her like crazy. The same thing is true with your, with your Lord. If you love him and you know him, you're going to talk about him all the time to your kids. And you know him to be faithful and, to, and, and how he's helped you and how he's come along and saved you, not just from salvation, but also in your walk. When your kids have a problem, you're going to go, I know the Savior. I know the Savior. I know, I know him. If you fall in love with Jesus, all these have-tos turn into get-tos. And the overflow from that is you become a light to the world. Your family is on mission, becoming a part of God's plan for redemption. So let's close with prayer. Lord, Jesus, I ask that you would put the families at Cornerstone on mission. Put our relationship, our faith in your word, our trust in your love, and our passion for your kingdom on display for your glory. We want to be known as the family who knows God. Because you live in our midst. Jesus, I love you. I pray that each, all of us, as we walk out of this room, our walk would display that. No, and even in this room, Lord, I pray that as we talk to each other, that when, when others see our, our people, it's not that you live in our midst. You live in our hearts, and that's what unites us as your adopted family. That's what I pray. Jesus, in your mighty name, amen.